I think there is one thing which is certain in life amidst all the uncertainties that we encounter What shall I do to increase this volume or my own volume? Your volume. My volume, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this, is <special. laughs> this is like you. Okay, yeah, that's uh, not a difficult task at all. <laughs> so there's one thing which is certain amidst all the uncertainties of life. When this question was asked to you this day, what is it that is certain? What is it that is makes uh, us full of wonder? What is the most surprising thing? upon earth so he gave an answer that the only the most surprising thing is that death is certain and yet human beings live as if they are going to be immortal but uh, we can take the answer on a larger scale and we can say that one thing is certain in life and it is change to put it in you know the way Buddha answered it, the one thing which is certain is change. So this, when we look at life, it's, I mean, now we are just going through a period of change. Several questions arise and need of certain attitude spontaneously comes. For example, is there a direction to this change? Or is it just a meaningless, purposeless unfolding of whatever we don't know? Is there a direction to this change? Is there a purpose to this change? Are we participants in this change in some way or the other? Or we are just helpless? Uh, you know, as the Gita uses a very interesting word, Yantra Rudini Maya. As a fly caught on the wheel. It's a very interesting simile I find that a fly is moving when it is caught in the wheel and it thinks that it is bringing the change, but actually it is being carried by the wave of change. So are we just uh, helpless um, instruments who are being driven towards something which we don't know? Or is there a way we can consciously participate in it? It leads us to still deeper question. Is everything fated? Or can things be changed? Do I have a role to play in the entire unfolding of the or fate? So this observation of change can lead to several explorations. It has led to several explorations in human life. One of them is, is there a basis, stable basis to this change? Where is this change happening? Um, to expand this question is, uh, and it's a very interesting meditation if sometimes someone wants to take it, it's, it's a very liberating meditation. That we all talk about space and we know that space is not something fixed. Space is expanding. And we may raise the question, where is it expanding into? And just to conceive the vast expanse of space which is still expanding into what we do not know. Time is constantly moving. What is moving the cycle of time? What is that principle behind all this motion? Is there a stable basis at all? And Indian mystic thought, actually mystic thought all over the world, when I use the word Indian, it means India preserved these things and continue to experiment along these lines since the beginning of uh, times immemorial. 
that yes, the first answer they got is that there is a stable basis. It's like the anchor. And if there is a stable basis, the need was to hold on to this anchor. Otherwise, the change is too tremendous, too massive. And they used different names for this anchor. One word was Brahman, that which is stable basis behind all the change, the mutable becomings. The Gita very boldly declares that the change is myself and the stable basis is myself and I am beyond the ever-moving and the ever-stable. You know, the three aspects, Sharobhav, Akshara and Purushottama. But even before that, the first tendency was to find a stable basis. So why this is necessary? Because otherwise one feels constantly uprooted. So to be rooted in something which doesn't change, is there a stable basis? And it's beautifully conjured in one of the Indian images of Kali's dance taking over the breast of Shiva. So Shiva gives his whole body and he is lying because Kali's dance is tremendous and there has to be something which steadies it. Otherwise it can lead to a great chaos. When you look at the star spinning in space at tremendous speed, even our own earth it's not just some ordinary force, energy. We use these terms so passingly, casually. Oh, it's all a power, it's some... But just for a moment, look at this power which is moving the stars, galaxies, the dance within the atoms. And when we understand that this power is also the one which is secretly determining our own life and fate, then the most logical next question is, is there a way that I can understand its workings is there a way that I can join in this working? Can I play at cross purposes with its working? It is moving in one direction. Can I play at cross purposes with this will? So these are the questions which arose in the human mind. And since then, first thing, one of the discoveries it made is that there is a stable basis. There is something over which the dance is taking place. And as I said in the image of uh, Shiva and Kali. Kali is, of course, we have the image of Kali outwardly, but she is Kali, the, the power which moves time, Kala. Time brings change and she is the power within the heart of time. And she moves and as she moves, future begins to unfold itself and the past is left behind. Things which we were attached to, things which we felt that they are they are never going to change one of the, you know, things that we all indulge our imagination into, that things are never going to change. Well, they do change and they must change. They must change, otherwise there will be no progress, no evolution, no growth. But we are afraid of change because change means a sense of uprootedness. We want things to remain as they are. But things change because there is a great compulsion within things to change. And when we understand that, well, change has to happen, whether we like it or not, it doesn't ask us, may I change, sir? It changes. <laughs> so we need to find a way that we can join either with this tremendous dance that is taking place in creation or discover the stable basis. The discovery of the stable basis behind the change led to one line of mystic thought and experience which in India is known as Vedanta 
the end of knowledge. What is, is there a knowledge behind all this change? Knowledge not in terms of intellectual knowledge. Is there is a consciousness which holds, is there a stable existence on which the dance is taking place? So Vedanta ultimately leads us to that point, that basis. And when we become one with it, one way or the other, it is the same thing, the permanent of the Buddha. Buddha didn't use the word. And so many people started believing that he was anatmavad. So there is, you know, the nothingness, shunyam and the, uh, you know, everythingness is are two ways of looking at the same thing. So this has led Indian thought, mystic experience to discover that stable basis. It anchors us. It really roots us. Because any other thing in which if we get rooted, try to get rooted, we will be uprooted. This is as true as anything else. And when we were children, there was something very interesting we learned. When there was a death, or even otherwise, we were told, Saas bhi saath nahi deti hai apna. Even your body and your breath doesn't, uh, is not your companion forever. They leave you and go. So what to speak of something else or somebody else? So this is the first thing that we need to remember that it's in none of these ever-changing appearances we are going to find that stable basis. And if we remain tied to appearances, we will go through the tough and rough ride, the water rafting, and we may use the word, it's, we may sometimes experience the change as joyous, happy, and sometimes we'll experience it as sorrowful because it's not according to our likes and or our wishes and fancies, but it'll come. And as children, we used to again learn another thing. One, you know, if you laugh too much, sorrow will chase you. Well, whether you laugh or not, there is a very ancient, um, um, you know, like we sell things. I don't know how it is here, but often in India you have buy one, thing and get too free. People don't realize it's one of the biggest traps ever made. <laughs> so, so there's a very ancient scheme in nature. Buy one joy, get a couple of sorrows free. But that couple of sorrows is written in footnote. So that you don't see it, you say, ah, wonderful. Not realizing that this sorrow is the grace. Why, do, why is it a grace? Because otherwise we would be very happy and satisfied with the limited joy. But that's not the plan. The plan is that we must inherit and become one with that delight. The same power which is moving the stars. We must become one with it. We, can, we are inheritors, co-sharers of the divine divinity which has gone into creation. And so if we are satisfied, too satisfied with too little, then we'll be anyways uprooted. So there are two poles at which we can place ourselves. One is we can enter into the smallest possible, narrowest possible state, a very rigid state where we identify ourselves with something very small and be sure it's going to hit very hard. And when we do that, we are completely we are not empowered at all. We are just 
as if the fly caught on the wheel. We are like that in that state. Completely rigid mechanical determinism of nature. Why? Because everything in us has become very small and narrow. What are some examples of that? I am just the body. This is one of the examples. Oh, I am hopelessly and helplessly at the mercy of every little force in this world. This one, one extreme which many of us take and hence uh, we, don't, uh, we are not empowered at all. And there is the other extreme where we discover the utter freedom. Life moves between these two extremes. There is a little story by Khalil Gibran that when somebody died, a little a young death, and he, this person went and asked the doctor, why did he die? So doctor said, you know, there are very small, infinitesimal, small organisms because of which he is dead. And then he went to a mystic and asked him, can you tell me the reason? So he said, it is the will of the infinite. So the man remarked that between the infinitesimal and the infinite, somewhere in between, something happened and the person died. So when we narrow our consciousness, the smaller we become, the more helpless we become. And when we widen ourselves, vast, this ability that we can become as vast as the universe, this is what yoga explores. Then we are not just participants of the change, but we can actually usher in change. Because these are the two states, two attitudes that mankind always struggles. One is whether we should accept the change. This one attitude. Many people say you have no choice, no control. Accept what is fated. It is fixed. So Savitri, you know, so often I love to... Um, and very often people say that Indian thought is fatalistic. It says, accept the change. It's not true at all. Let me just make it very clear. Uh, a fatalistic thought would never have give, given birth to Ramayana, the Mahabharata. Why? Because in Mahabharata, even though Sri Krishna shows that everything is fated, yet he wants us to participate in the process of change. It would have never given birth to Ramayana, where when Sita is held captive by Ravana. Rama doesn't say that, well, I can't help it. Uh, it's fated. Imagine a Rama saying it's fated. So what can I do? I have to only sit in this forest, in a hermitage, in an ashrama. I've got the lesson of life that ultimately everything passes away from you. And well, that's how destiny, our saath, hamara itna tha. This was, we are fated. And so now destiny has taken away Janki and all that I have to do is to sit and meditate. Rama doesn't do that. Because Rama is a yogin. Just read his conversations at the age of 16. When Rama has a conversation with Vasist at that age, he has developed a strong sense of detachment and renunciation as a young lad of 16. And therefore he is prepared through that process to participate in a great change. Because this change was not just about his wife, but about um, larger, there is a larger story that is taking place. So when we live only for our own self, our little self, our little uh, ego personality, then we don't understand the mysterious play. But when we look at the larger picture in which we are participants, conscious participants, 
then we begin to get empowered and bring in the usher in the change. So acceptance is the first state through which mankind moves because it doesn't know what's uh, its purpose, what its role, which way things are moving. So acceptance is perhaps the one logical thing that people do. They, they put in their effort, acceptance doesn't mean no effort, but to accept that, well, things will anyways happen the way they will happen. But on the other hand, mankind harbors another urge, which has been often neglected, even in spiritual thought, that we want things to shape in a certain way. We all have this dream of a perfection, of a perfect world, of perfect, you know, a state, an age, when we'll be free of diseases, suffering, and life will be beautiful. Every child is born with this dream. And... Um, Unfortunately, by the time he, the child grows up, <laughs> thanks to uh, educators and parents, the dream is crushed inside. And we are told, forget about all these dreams. Just learn to make your own daily bread and your daily life. And the dream is stifled inside the heart. But we are not meant for that. So as we grow through life, we are pushed towards something much greater and vaster beyond our scope. And we discovered that the purpose of this change is not just an individual and his everyday life. When we look at life from that small angle, we begin to suffer. But when we look at the larger scope, the power that is moving the galaxies is the same power that is moving us. This a fundamental truth that another line of yoga discovered, which is the tantra, that it's the same power. They are not two powers. Just imagine the enormity of this power. And this power is there within us. This is the second truth that it revealed. And not only that power is there within us, we can become one with this power. That is true empowerment. That power can be awakened within us. We can be moved consciously with this power. Not helplessly driven by the forces of nature. And how to become one with this power, how to become, you know, consciously become its instruments and channels. That is what the secret of yoga is about. So when very often we use these two words, faith and surrender, before I open it to questions, just to put it in perspective. So faith means basically that I, I may not understand. Faith is a kind of knowledge which has not yet taken up intellectual form it is to trust that behind all that is happening behind the changing appearances there is something a greater power a greater consciousness a wisdom that is determining all these things I may not understand it but I must go by faith in yoga it is called as Kalyan Shraddha I may not understand it right now when Mahabharata was taking place, even till date, very often people say, Oh, Mahabharata was, uh, God had staged Mahabharata so that human beings can understand that war is not good. Imagine what a paradox it would be. To have a war, to teach people that war is not good. Did anybody learn any lesson? <laughs> Strangely and paradoxically, the world often advances through war. War is another aspect of human life. If you want to move to the future, you have to leave behind the past. And the past and the future will struggle inside our breast. 
and that is the first minimum war that everybody experiences try to take a step in front without leaving the step behind this is the original conflict all the time this war is taking place inside it takes place on a mega level when nations and all these are called upon to change so this is one of the first lesson that we need to understand that now this mahabharata and shubindu says something very different he says through the mahabharata krishna saved india that whole war was staged or took place so that there was something which was in peril and that had to be saved so the question is can it take place without the war yes it can happen that's where true empowerment is when we struggle at cross purposes with this great will this great becoming then we experience stress in life very often people speak about letting go so what is letting go and what do we let go so they say don't hold grudges don't go hold you know um, all the things that are troubling you let go is very beautiful thought very difficult to put into practice <laughs> so as a psychiatrist i face this you know people come and say doctor i know that i must think positively so i say yes i know the next thing is i don't know how to think positively how do you let go there is only one way to move toward the future there is no other way you try to hold on to the past even trying to let go is to hold on to it move towards the future so there is constantly we are invited to move towards the future and if we become conscious of this great unfolding of the future individually and collectively consciously participate in it then we welcome change we embrace it and we embrace it with the right awareness with the right attitude but when we don't we struggle against it because we don't know which way the change is leading us then sometimes not only we play at cross purposes with the great will which is moving humanity and nations and civilizations ahead we create a strange kind of creature which is symbolized in the story of uh, daksh prajapati with with which we can you know maybe halt otherwise yes. i would so just this little story i will just say then i'll stop so the story goes that um, sati is married to shiva and uh, her father doesn't like it he tries everything to prevent her from marrying shiva and why because daksh prajapati has certain guidelines rules with which he must govern creation he is prajapati so he set some rule there is a rule book vidhata ka vidhan so mankind must live according to these rules if it doesn't live according to its rule he has his own set of almanac how to manage that situation but there is one or rather someone who doesn't live according to any of the rules and that is shiva he doesn't follow any norms he is supposed to be the yogi of yogis but comes on a he doesn't own a mercedes he doesn't you know he is uh, just comes casually dresses in his own uh, inimitable way he has company with the gaul and the faul as much as with the gods and the saints so he doesn't understand he doesn't follow any rules so he doesn't want him in his kingdom he says if you come you are going to 
break all the norms that I have built. But Sati, nature, she is the Divine Mother who has become this impulsion in nature, wets him. Now this is a dangerous situation because nature must move according to certain mechanical patterns, habits which have been inbuilt within it. Otherwise, there will be disruption. So if she wears Shiva, that means now nature is going to move according to a free, <laughs> plastic, wide, powerful movement. And Dash doesn't want it because it means his reign is going to end. And so he wants Sati, don't do it, but Sati gets married. And so he plays a trick, he invites Sati to the Yagna. Yagna is a very wonderful thing, you know. Yagna is that everybody puts their own thing into fire. But it's not like when you bring out, okay, pick up your jewelry which you put. No, no, no. Everybody receives according to what his capacity is to receive. So it's the real invitation to collective living in that true way. Everybody puts their best energies. It applies at the world stage also. Every nation must bring its best into the great furnace or the hearth and then everybody receives as prasad. So he performs the yagna and he calls sati. So sati wants to go but Shiva is uninvited. So Shiva cautions her. This is a trick. <laughs> Don't go. Prakriti without the Lord is what creates chaos. But nevertheless, she goes and as things would have it, she realizes the mistake and she jumps into the fire and she, she will be reborn as Parvati. But meanwhile, mayhem follows because a strand of hair of Shiva gives birth to Veer Bhadra who comes and destroys the entire army of Prajapati and even Narayan comes and he says, I cannot, <laughs> times have come for change and eventually Daksh is destroyed. He is, uh, you know, beheaded. Shavinda quotes this story in the Bande Matram. So it's very significant of individual life and collective life. So then people pray to him that please, uh, this fellow is dead. Do something. You can give life. You are Mrityunjaya, Mahakal. So he says, okay, get me ahead and I'll join it. So divine surgeons are brought together hurriedly without anesthesia. They do a surgery. There is a goat's head which is put on the trunk of Daksh. But they were too much in a hurry. There were no lawsuits and suddenly the head is fixed backward. So when Daksh moves forward, he is actually moving backwards. And when he moves backward, he is moving forward. It's a strange situation. Because the head is fixed backward. So he thinks that that's the direction I must move. And he's apparently, according to him, moving forward. But he's actually moving backward. See the point that when the head is fixed the other way around. So that's not the way to bring change. By manipulating outer external things. The way to bring change is through the yagna that Sati undergoes. She plunges into the fire, goes through a process of purification. She is reborn as Parvati, the daughter of the mountains. Within the core of matter, 
she is born as the divine energy and then of course the journey of parvati is all of us are aware of the nav durgas no that nav durga is through layer by layer this awakening of the divine consciousness the divine power till it meets her lord so this is the path the journey is to empowerment starts from within awakening all the deepest possibilities within us and what is the highest possibility of man it is that man thou art divine there is never a greater utterance ever spoken than these two one is sohamasmi that there and that sun that effulgence there and this are one i am that and tatvamasi you are that when we move in life with this faith that deep within at its core we are divine and then we take whole life as a means to unveil this secret divinity within us this is the great game plan the game was never played to satisfy our little ego life it was never meant to okay how much money you want i'll give a god who is busy giving all our demands and desires you know people go to places where mannat puri ho jati hai stay away from such places he may do it he may not do it but the real purpose is not this the real purpose through all this change is to unveil the secret divinity within us and for that whatever is needed that great will will do and when we become conscious of this and when we join our own aspiration with this great forward march of mankind the gita speaks of it as lok sangraharth the collective march of mankind which is moving towards a great high event then life becomes beautiful then we not only embrace the change helplessly but we become the change but in the true sense so if we want things to change it's not through external manipulation of circumstances this is the great lesson we have to learn but inwardly we have to change within shubindo says in one of the aphorisms with which we can stop and a little example the example is that you know stress was one of the things that you wanted but in very simple way stress is what you have a small vessel in which you put some content and as this content gets heated up it creates a stress on the vessel if the vessel is small it will burst out so one way that people practice is release so you have the pressure cooker invented you know there is so much that the pressure cooker teaches us so people just release they phone a friend they discuss but the vessel remains the same the patram is the same so soon pressure builds up again they must release and it goes on ad infinitum but there is another way is to make the vessel vast the same thing which was troubling is felt nothing but a ripple you know throw us stone into a little well it will make a sound throw it into a pond you will see ripples throw it into a river it will be washed away throw a mountain into an ocean so to become vast in consciousness that is what is required to what extent we can become vast should be in the say arcturus and belfegor burn as a grain 
in the boundless self. These are two seemingly opposite constellations. Arcturus is a very auspicious constellation. Belfajor is associated with demons. And so they burn as a grain in the boundless. So this is given to man to change within. And when we change within, then we are truly, we become participants in that. Then the flow and the flux doesn't trouble us. It doesn't because we, we have that right Shraddha and that surrender. Surrender is what? Surrender to whom? People often ask, what is surrender? We all know it. When a child is in the womb, it helplessly surrenders. When it comes out, it surrenders. When he grows up, he surrenders to his fancies. When he is 15, he surrenders to his girlfriend or boyfriend. When he's married, he surrenders to his or her husband or wife. <laughs> when he grows a little older, he surrenders to the child. Isn't it? Is it so difficult to understand surrender? <laughs> but the one person to whom it must surrender truly, it doesn't surrender. And that is the one constant from the womb to the tomb and beyond. And that is the divine will. There's only one meaning of surrender. is to surrender to the divine will. It's a dynamic process. Surrender is not a helpless, okay, I have no choice. Surrender means to make the right choice, to make the choice completely aligned with the divine will. It means surrendering all the preferences, leaving them aside, all viewpoints, opinions, our limited vision, limited understanding, to become the unlimited, the vast, the infinite, to become one with the eternal. That's what surrender does. It never diminishes us, it aggrandizes us, mother's words. Instead of surrendering to the habits, to the mechanical impulsions, to surrender to the vast, to the true, to the divine, it's far more difficult. It requires tremendous courage. Surrender is not for the weak. Very often people say surrender is... Surrender to the divine is not for the weak. It requires tremendous courage. It's a leap of faith. So this surrender, when we are able to do it, it means at the same time, detaching oneself from all that holds us back. Because now we want to be moved by the divine. It's a very nice little uh, line in Ram Charitmanas. Sabahi Nachavat Ram Gusai. He is the one who moves all. And if we can become one with him, then we participate truly in the process of change. So that's what Indian thought, mystic thought teaches us. Shurabindo, this is relevant because Shurabindo is the harbinger of a change. His spirituality is not that spirituality where you are taught to just step back and become one with the divine and be done with life and birth and death and creation and everything else. His is a dynamic spirituality which teaches us to consciously participate in the great divine becoming that this universe is. And therefore it is relevant for all times. And that's where he has brought in this entirely new wonderful idea of transformation that this change is a direction and a purpose. This world is not emerging, it has not emerged from some desire in the being, but out of the delight of the being. And if we can participate in this change joyously, consciously, 
then we live in delight which does not drag sorrow at its shade but if we do not if we hold on to our little nostrums a little ego then with every joy flower of joy that we will pluck will bring home two sorrows free and if you are very fortunate ten sorrows free because it will remind us of the imperfection and the limitation in which we live so let us live with this wonderful idea that change is good even if we do not understand it that there is a divine impulsion within creation this creation is not an accident in time there is a conscious force that is shaping the destiny of man and nations and everything and this conscious force is not changing things for the sake of changing them but there is a direction and a purpose we may use the word evolution and there are several parables but i don't want to get into it and we can consciously participate in this evolutionary transformation which is what is the one event that is happening throughout it's happening right now it was happening when earth was shaped out of the nebulous mass of gases and it will keep happening whether we like it or not whether we participate it or not and that journey of evolutionary transformation is the key to both accepting and change accepting the divine will which is not something fixed like a dogma it's plastic it's infinite and to become one with it and become its conscious instruments representatives and channels so this is the not so brief but it's okay so we can so anyone if you have any question please yes yes i wanted to know that uh, what you said that i am brahman and i am the pregnant of the same divine i understand i don't understand but i know that but i wanted to i wanted to understand and i wanted to feel that because yes felt what you said it's right but i still don't feel it yes so the path to realize it so it starts with this idea which is accepted as you rightly said that i accept it well that i am brahman that's where faith is needed to start the journey if i start with this idea that i am nothing but a social animal i was taught that in fourth standard man is a social animal so as i grew up i lived with this dilemma that should i behave like an animal or man or whatever else <laughs> okay so first thing is to accept the idea that's which is the first step if we don't now this idea has to be accepted by faith faith not necessarily in the idea but also in those who have given us this idea the seers who explored we start with that then we have to start working towards realizing it making it real realizing means making it real that idea must become our living reality so there are several ways of doing it there is a long path and a short path the long path is i start looking at myself very objectively and start disengaging with all that is temporary and transient because obviously that is not eternal by definition so the path which classically the gyan yogis follow i am not this body what it means is that every time something happens to the body i don't start shrinking with fear oh my god oh my god when somebody 
डाइज वी डोंट से ओ वो मर गया वो नहीं मरा ये जस्ट मूवड ऑन टू अदर्स फीयर्स ऑफ एग्जिस्टेंस ही इज एक्सपीरियंसिंग लाइफ इन अनदर मोड ऑफ एग्जिस्टेंस इज लेफ्ट द बॉडी इज नॉट डेड he is not dead he has left the body this is the difference between the two means that, that this must color my entire attitude in everything every time if there is a little prick to my body little pain i must understand that learn to separate and detach myself from the events in the body and face them with a calm equanimity and trust then am i my desires obviously not we identify with desires which brings so much of well momentary pleasure and pain am i my thoughts viewpoints and opinions well again one cause of tussle and struggle and uh, you know stress in life is because viewpoints and opinions clash put two human beings together they will either quarrel or they will try to convert the other this is universal because they want to we want to create clones but god wants to create <laughs> diversity so <laughs> instead of enriching each other with the difference we end up trying to blur the differences and you know the re- result is the obvious so when we disengage also from ideas viewpoints opinions then we must discover that one core idea which i think is my highest so that's where it comes to that i am divine but not just i am divine because that leads to another kind of a um, you know there is a loophole in that ravana also said i am god but he forgot that all is god so we live with this great truth meditate upon this idea every time contrary appearances come to me i must remind myself in every fabric every fiber of my being that this is brahman deep within when a old man comes to me i should not oh, look at him how does he look i must know that this is brahman in disguise it has practical implications as a healer when it comes a person comes to me sick and tired of what kind of illness how distorted instead of that i must adopt the attitude hey sachidanand brahm why are you wearing this kind of dress you don't look good shed off this attire of disease when my wife or husband argues and fights if it is my wife i must say hey kali mata shant ho jao <laughs> if it is my husband nowadays it's all you know equal gender so man can also have a husband so don't so if you if it's a if it's okay so it doesn't the masculine and feminine is you know two modes of one being they are not two nature's inferior play we have created genders so anyways so if it is my husband so i have to say hey rudra shiv jaise bano rudra roop mat dharan karo <laughs> become the benevolent shiva see how he carried sati even after she is dead on the all the 10 quarters of the universe lamenting in grief so you know don't be a ravana be a rama <laughs> so we have countless examples so in everybody we need to see that divine element which is a manifesting it changes our entire attitude 
in everybody you know why there's a lot of struggle and fight in with children there is one of the problem that parents face they want children to become if not clones but something they have their own ideas what children should become okay whatever this is and they want them to conform to that idea what children so instead of continuing to hammer them into becoming something which they are intrinsically not instead to discover what is in them that is something like a divine element and encourage to bring it out so when we live life like that that in everybody and through everything there is the divine expressing himself and we can help it's not according to my egoistic wishes and then it helps so it is a package it's not like just sitting and closing eyes and saying i am brahman i am brahman this attitude this an attitude to start with must translate in everything in life so this is the long way there is a shorter way fast track way you know because we don't have time to love the one who represents to you the brahman the real the true and that's where love for the master for the guru for the divine representative come because we grow into the likeness of the one whom we love sound simple very difficult one of the most natural things in life and yet the most difficult is love to really learn to love truly it's not that i have to love divine so leave aside this no but to love the divine in everyone in everything again it's a package it's not divine cut off from this world but to love the divine who must become our core our very substance it liberates us from all appearances and we end up becoming like him so that is the story of kuts and indra when they participate in the devasur sangram and they reach the door steps of swarga so the person at the gate is confused because both look alike and they have to ultimately call shachi indra's consort who is truth consciousness she knows that yes kuts have grown into the likeness of indra and yet there is a subtle difference so when we love somebody we grow into the likeness of the person whom we love so it means we should be very careful about what we love even in if we love a human being what we should love in a human being is it the appearances or the divine element and if we hold on to that divine element and love it we help it to emerge much more often and much more commonly so love the divine in creation and love the divine within and that's the shorter path i have another thing like uh uh you know that but like uh can bhakti can swing this is a jnan man right can bhakti also take us to the um, same way so that's exactly what the second thing which i was speaking about the shorter path is bhakti shri krishna answered this beautifully Arjuna says all that you are saying is sounding so wonderful but you know i have seen yogis pay scale the mountains uh, with great difficulty and you know they they do a lot of tapasya and where do they reach so sri krishna says they also eventually come to me but they only have partial realization they don't know me in my totality samagram mam so it's a more difficult path and eventually leads you to a very limited realization the gyan mark but bhakti leads to a comprehensive 
realization and uh, I'll use a little analogy. When you want to know about the divine or, you know, I'm not using the word God because it has been distorted. Uh, you know, God, if you imagine as a bearded person sitting with a carrot and stick in hand, the most ungodlike God who is busy judging people, condemning them, punishing them. I've never seen a more monstrous image of God as the human mind is conjured and poor God must be saying, mujhe. <laughs> the great liberator has become a great punisher. Anyway, so the whole thing is that when you want to know God, so you first find his address. Where does he live? Okay, he lives within the heart. So take this as an analogy that you know that he lives in so-and-so place. 631 Wallet Drive or you know wherever you want to go in Pondicherry, you go there. So you know the address. So you reach there. So when you reach there, you are greeted in the portico with nice, uh, good things. So there are angels who will come. They will give you plenty of gifts. Maybe some siddhis, some riddhis, some desires will be satisfied. Some sharbat will be offered. You feel very nice. So many people say, this is very nice. I don't need to go further. But then we must go further. And then when we go further, the person at the gate asks you, why do you want to meet him? I want to know. Okay, God will invite you in the study room. I have actually experienced it, not with God, but with <laughs> and somebody's house I went. So he'll invite you to his study room and you have all the debates and discussions that I have read this book. He will, God will say, yes, uh, I understand this point of view. At the end, you will come back satisfied. This is what Gyan Yoga is. Then you say, no, no, I want to serve you. So God will say, okay, then hang out with me. Karmi Yoga. So you become his servant and slave. And wherever he goes, he will carry you. And better to become a slave than servant because servant means you are on wages. I have served God for six hours in the temple and now I must get my wages. But slave he will carry everywhere. After all, slave means big gear. Slave cannot demand any salary. So what does God give in salary? Delight. Whatever you can imagine by getting through all the salary. But a still greater thing is say, I just love you. So slave is left outside when God sleeps. Slave has no business. He has to just keep a watch. But when you love God, he says, come into my bedroom. I'll sleep with you. And I'll share my dreams with you. That's what we do, you know. Who is the beloved? Somebody with whom we can share the most intimate details, not only of about the present, about the future. So he will share his future plans. Slave doesn't know the future plans. He can conjure. His master is going there, probably uh, this is what is going to happen. But those who love God, they become so completely one with him that not only does he keep them close to his heart, but they are the ones who become privy to the most intimate plans that are going to manifest in the future. So to love God is the greatest secret, but unfortunately, unfortunately, bhakti is the rarest of rare. If one has it itself is a boon, true bhakti. Not the bhakti which manifests as dhol kirtan. Okay. That's not bhakti. That's often show before God. God is not pleased or impressed. But true bhakti that manifests in a complete self-giving to the divine. Love by its nature means to give without demand, expectation, return of any kind. 
love by its nature implies that I have given myself completely to God. What he does with me is his business, not mine. And that true bhakti liberates us from our littleness and makes us one with God. It's the shortest, swiftest, smoothest path. And to put it in context, because very often people keep talking about Shurabindu as philosopher and thinker and very difficult. This is one of the greatest misconceptions. And I believe that this is a web created by a kind of uh, maybe forces which don't want us to go near Shurabindu. Shobindu speaks of bhakti as the crowning movement of yoga, just as Sri Krishna insists on bhakti as the crowning movement. And you know how he summarizes the entire yoga of divine love? Shobindu says, There is nothing which is denied to the God lover, for he is indeed the very self of the divine beloved. This is the what is this yoga, entire yoga of Shurabindo, but love and surrender to the Divine Mother in one little sentence? So, well, knowledge is a very long path and every yogi has talked about the path of tapasya and surrender. But knowledge comes in its truest sense when we love God. When you love somebody, you will know. How does a mother know why the child is crying? Because she loves the child. Fathers do, uh, fathers love, okay. <laughs> but then they take time to understand. They use knowledge, tool. Why is the baby crying? And after some time, they get pretty frustrated and say, Dekh lo. You see, you know. But mothers know, oh, you don't know. He just needs a change of nappy. Oh, I thought the child is hungry. No, no, no. This is not the cry of hunger. How do you know? Mother says, I know. Child is my extension. <laughs> So, bhakti is the shortest, swiftest, smoothest path. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. It's like same thing like Vyasi when wrote uh, Bhagavatam. Like uh, when he wrote, he was not satisfied. Then he asked yeah, yeah, yeah. He asked uh, what is left. He didn't put the devotion in. Yes, yes. Bhakti is missing. But it's very difficult for the individuality society which stresses on too much of ego individuality, not true individuality. People who take to spiritual life are fiercely individual. That's why they can turn to God, leaving aside everything. Mira is empowered individuals. It doesn't mind leaving Chittor and palace and everything in search of God. That's individuality. But the egoistic individuality which where we are taught to assert the ego and affirm the ego is very difficult to, for the seed of bhakti to flourish there. If we can, it can flourish, then the results will be tremendous. But <laughs> the soil is pretty barren. Hard, rocky individuality. Me, myself. Yeah. So, I'm given to understand there's a, a uh, clinical definition for love in uh, Sanskrit. And this, you essentially gave a version of it. it is, I, I've, I've been told uh, wishing for another's benefit more than yourself, not equal to yourself. Is there a Sanskrit definition for faith and how is that different? Belief. Okay, that's a very good question. Sanskrit or no, but I can tell you what exactly is the difference. So faith and belief are definitely two different movements. Belief is something which the mind adopts. I believe that there is God. I believe that he will take care of me. I believe in the theory of karma. 
belief is a kind of system that the mind creates there is usually some truth in it if it is given by a great uh, you know being but belief is something which is very helpful at one level because we are anchored in fixed belief but it's also it can become harmful because it will keep us tied to the system in which we believe in but faith is the very stuff of our soul now faith is something much more deeper for instance as i said belief is that well the doctrine of karma there is god who is you know in this universe the mind can adopt this belief but every time because it's a mental thing my mind ideas of god are challenged my belief the ground of belief starts shaking for example i have this idea that god is benevolent it's a belief god is good isn't it and what is good well he takes care of everything of my life from the most mundane to the ultimate so the day something from me is snatched away then belief begins to shake because the ground is mind so what happens with belief is uh, instead of enlarging it it tends to crumble there is a very beautiful line in savitri heaven's wiser love rejects the mortal's prayer but faith will not shake it it will remain unshakable through all the appearances because faith is in the ultimate truth that you are seeking it's not about a particular system or a certain way of life but this faith is intrinsic that the divine is behind everything and whatever happens may happen or may not happen will lead us eventually towards that great divine becoming to put it in context of said say modern times corona recently people are emerging you know have not yet emerged so they're emerging through this process so there were people who believed that now the new world has come i'm talking in context of sherbindo and they said why has corona come then so that was the belief it started people started questioning that we were told that there is a supramental world but how come there is corona there is death there is all kinds of things so this is belief its ground is the mind those who have faith they took another attitude and approach they said whether corona or karuna or whatever else the divine knows and he is leading us through whatever means towards that great goal when the war broke out again people started third world war will happen i don't know people have this penchant for thinking of the worst 2000 doomsday then suddenly there was some other movies were made then 2020s movies were made no ice age is going to come so when we have these beliefs which are born in the mind they are not on the stable ground but those who have faith they looked at the war they don't didn't think about third world war or second or fourth or whatever they simply knew that even if there is a war even there is a great destruction the divine is leading us will lead us the supreme wisdom we may not use the word divine will lead us eventually through everything towards that great wonderful grand divine disclosure so those who believed that krishna is god they were shaken by the fact that he is not stopping the war 
Why is he doing this? And not even sparing one child. That was Gandhari's lament. At least he should have, he is God after all. By magical powers, he should have left one child. When Bhima was asked this question, Bhim, why you killed 100? You should have left one child. You know what was Bhim's answer? See how destiny operates. Bhim says, Mom, I respect you, but if you had 200 sons, I would have killed all 200 of them. Shocking to the human mind, but faith understands what he meant. If even one child of Gandhari remained, she would not have been able to take that great leap that creation was calling her to take. See, Gandhari is a tapaswini. And how foolishly she has bandaged her eyes as if this is the way to... Otherwise, she is a tapaswini. She is a, you know, a woman of substance. She is not like Dhritarash, blindly attached. And yet, she is still holding on at some level, in some way. If one child is left behind, Gandhari would not be able to take that next step which she is called upon to take by destiny. Hundred sons have gone. See, this is the difference. Vasisht lost his hundred sons and Vasisht grew into a Brahmarishi. Gandhari lost a hundred sons and she ended up cursing Krishna, whom she did believe as you know a kind of God. So faith will remain unshaken through all the twists and turns and turbulences of life because its seat is in the soul. It is a kind of knowledge. Only this knowledge doesn't have an intellectual word. It doesn't know exactly why. But it says, I have faith. If my beloved gives me pleasure or pain, joy or sorrow, I receive it with gratitude. But belief, the moment it is shaken, Oh, I thought he's God. Why did he do this to me? Why me? And faith will say, precisely because now he wants to pull you out of all these bonds in which you are tied. When Sri Aurobindo goes to the jail, Alipur jail, he says that why you have put me here? And then he says, wait and see. That's why Sri Aurobindo insists on Kalyan Shraddha. That how the divine leads you to everything, even the most paradoxical and contrary things. Towards the divine discloser within us. Towards the great event towards which we are moving. So ground of belief is mind. And ground of faith is the soul. We may start with belief, but if we remain stuck with belief, then we have not progressed. Faith, belief must grow into the deeper element of the soul. Last one example I'll give, very practical one, real life. When first time I had been to Pondicherry, not first time, second time. So one day we were thinking, how nice if, you know, because people, you know, from the northern side of India, they start missing chola and all these things, you know, anyways, a kind of food. So, they were thinking, chola khana chi. That day in dining room, chola was served, you know. So, ah, so nice, see, mother listens to even the smallest prayer. So, that same evening, I was in somebody's house and I said, you know, Whatever mother, you know, she is so wonderful. Whatever she gives, I am ready to take. 
So next day in the dining room, they had in the dal karela. I said, foolish me. <laughs> Just because I had the things that I like one day, she had to tell me that, look, next day I can serve karela with equal love. Karela is bitter good. So basically, then one discovers that the divine is not just who keeps giving things, goodies that we like. The divine love is also that which takes away the things that we are very fond of because he loves us. When we understand this, then there is faith. You cannot have. They are two different sides of yes. Of course, love is the original power. Faith is from our end. Love is the original. I mean, there is nothing without love. <laughs> so. Anyone else has any question? You want to ask? So maybe I can take some time to explain a few things. Yes, please. Thank you.